Okay, here's my problem. From our perspective on Earth, right, the sun is the one sun. I know there's multiple suns out there in the galaxy, or just multiple stars, really. But if you go beyond the sun, you're just in the solar system again. Obviously a pedantic nitpick, but whatever. Welcome to the Impromptu Board Gaming Podcast. Today, the panel reviews Beyond the Sun, designed by Dennis K. Chan and published by Rio Grande Games. Later in the show, we test the panel's knowledge of secondhand games. But first, let's see what everyone's been playing lately. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm David. And I'm Andrew. Uh, So games I've been playing recently, I got a chance to try out Earth. This has been held as the, what is it, the Ark Nova Killer? It's like the new hotness and uh, very nice art, uh, a lot of interesting gameplay, and I, I thought it was all right. Honestly, I thought it was okay, but it didn't really wow me. The first time I played Ark Nova, it really wowed me, so I cannot give credence to the claim that it's the Ark Nova killer. For those of you who don't know, it's basically like uh, Terraform Mars or Ark Nova. It has a very large deck of cards that you go through. And when you draw the cards, you play them into a 4x4 grid. And there's various ways to uh, score points. Uh, you can uh, put seeds on, grow plants on them. And, you know, all the cards are themed uh, flora and fauna, some animals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was pretty fun, and your the the way you put it into your four by four grid is critical in that the orientation you put them you score by rows, you can score by lines, you can score by adjacency, you can score by a lot of so how you put the cards down into your grid is very important. And but uh, if you fill up your entire grid, I believe that's one of the end triggers. So you have to be you have to sort of balance waiting for the right card to put in the right position versus falling too far behind. Because if someone finishes their tableau, you're just going to miss out on a lot of scoring opportunities. Uh, I thought it was pretty good overall, but not quite a Ark Nova killer. Have either of you guys had the chance to try out Earth? I have not. I was curious what you meant by Ark Nova killer and that was it just like a cool game in general or was it in that same genre? So good to know. I think the association with Ark Nova as Terraforming Mars is there's just a giant deck of individual unique cards that kind of gives it the same vibe because each time you play, you don't quite know what will come out. Um, you, I mean, you might know the entire concept of the deck, but there's no way you're going to get through the deck. Yeah, I believe the deck is like 280 cards. Right. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people think it's the Ark Nova or Terraforming Mars Killer just because it has that deck and it's much shorter. It is a lot shorter. Yeah, we played a first game and it was like an hour. Oh, that's it. It is a lot shorter. And this is like a teaching game. I haven't really gotten a chance to try it yet, but that's kind of what I've heard. I'm wondering if maybe you think that maybe the game didn't wow you out of the gates, but perhaps it'll kind of grow on you and get better over uh, repeated plays, perhaps. I know I really felt that way over Concordia, as an example, where it was, I thought it was good at first, but then the more I played it, the more it really impressed me. You weren't impressed by Concordia right off the bat? No, not right off the bat. Right off the bat, I was thinking I was more confused than impressed. I think it was just sort of like, oh, okay. I went I run around, I did some stuff, I got some points, I scored pretty well, I didn't win, but, you know, I think I got it. And then... <laughs> then I played more and I realized I really needed to focus and like fine tune what I was doing as opposed to just kind of doing everything like a some kind of standard Euro game. Earth. I think it's a good game. I have to play it more to really get a, a sense of it. But uh, as of now, not an Ark Nova killer for me, at least. David, what have you been playing recently? Well, recently I've been playing a lot of games online, and one of the games I've been trying to play, or I have been playing quite a bit, is It's a Wonderful World. And this isn't a new game for me. I've played it in person before two or three times, and I really liked it. So I really wanted to play it a bunch more, and Board Game Arena is a great way to do that. Um, especially if you're okay with playing with just random people and not with, you know, necessarily people you know. And the more I've played the game, the more I've 
really, really started to appreciate it. I think it's still a fantastic game, even after multiple plays. And if you don't know the game, it's a very simple drafting game where you get a hand of cards, seven cards, you pick one, you pass the rest to your left, that means you get six from your right, pick one of those, and so on. Um, you do this simultaneously, and you show the card that you draft after everyone has picked a card. So you do kind of get to see what other people are drafting and where they're going. And that's very important because each card has something they give you, usually production, which you get at the end of the round. And then it has a little uh, resource in the lower right corner, which you can throw away to get instead of putting the building down to try to get that production once you finish the building. And that little detail is very important because it makes cards worth stuff even if you don't want the building itself, which lends itself to the idea of, of hate drafting, in a sense. Sometimes people won't necessarily target you, but they will take your building just because they need that resource in the corner. And if you are targeting someone for hate drafting, which is generally a legitimate strategy, it it takes this thing out of that too. You're not totally hurting yourself just to stop someone else, which you know is bad for both of you. Instead, you can make use of the cards you're given in a lot more ways. So yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with it. But there are two like, even more interesting things I wanted to point out about the game that I think is really really unique to this game. And one thing is that it is, it's not quite Arc Nova or Earth, as we've mentioned. There's a huge deck of cards, but the cards aren't unique. There's like, I don't know, so, some, some cards are less than others, but there's at least two copies of each card, and some have like four or five. But it is a huge stack, and as you play, you don't get through all the cards. And this is important because unlike other drafting games like Seven Wonders, there aren't specific cards for each round. Like in Seven Wonders, you have the round one cards, the round two cards, and the round three cards, and they generally get stronger. And the last round is generally all scoring, whereas the first round is production. In It's a Wonderful World, it's all mixed in, and you get it all the time. And that gives you an interesting situation where oftentimes you're going to be trying to build an engine towards a specific path, like let's just say yellow cards. That's an easy example. So you get yellow production, you're going to want yellow cards, and then at the end you'll score on yellow cards. But the thing is, the scoring cards, like the one point per yellow card cards, are just shuffled within. And there's no guarantee that you'll see them after you've started building your yellow engine. Um, you could build this fantastic engine full of resources, but if you don't get scoring cards in the last round, then you don't get any points. So constantly you have to evaluate throughout the game. Like you have to kind of predict where you're going to go and you have to prioritize scoring cards as they come up because if you don't, there's no guarantee that you'll see them in the fourth round. And so I like, th I like that a lot. I like interesting decisions on how much you want to commit to certain scoring uh, when you can. And then the other thing is just the kind of the the difficulty of the game itself, which I found intriguing. In most games, when you play the advanced mode, like the expert mode, and you have asymmetric powers, I mean, that is part of the advanced part. Usually they'll have the base game where everyone's just kind of the same, and you know. but in the advanced game, you'll have specific powers, and that makes it more interesting. In It's a Wonderful World, it's the exact opposite. The base game starts everyone off with individual paths, essentially, or individual powers, whereas the expert game, everyone has a generic, basic um, starting like card. And so then you really have to build off of what you see other people doing and try to avoid that and make your own thing as you go along. It, actually, it does actually make the game harder to just be exactly equal at the beginning, which I found pretty fascinating. That is really cool. And what I'm picking up from that is that it sounds like by having everyone be a sort of like generic, having that same start, you're really emphasizing focusing on the draft portion of the game itself. Yes, exactly. You really have to go in kind of remembering. It's important to remember what's in your starting hand because it'll come back around to you. You need to make a plan to build on that more than if you've already been kind of pigeonholed into starting in one specific way. With that being said, you don't have to completely go, like, if you start with green, you don't have to just go down the green route, that's it. But you are more incentivized to, at least. I forget, is that game 
two to four? It is. It's a Wonderful Worlds two to four. They released a follow up, not really a sequel, but like it's in this. You know, it's it's called It's a Wonderful Kingdom, and that one is two player. Also fantasy based. It's a Wonderful World is kind of dystopian future. Yes, that's the word. I was thinking utopia, but it's not quite the same thing. No, not the same thing. <laughs> utopia for some. Yeah, have you both? I think you both have played this game. What do you all think of it? I haven't played this game, so thank you for the description. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I thought you had. Interesting. I've played it. I like the... You can draft a card for multiple reasons. You can either draft it because you want to play it into your tableau to do its functions, either score points or get resources, or you can draft it for the, the resource, which you might need to activate other cards. Yeah, I think you made a good point about it makes hate drafting more accessible, I guess. Sometimes it really does feel like, well, this card's worth 10 points to the, the next guy, and my best play here is only worth 5 points, so is it better for me to take the 10 point card away from someone else, or just take the 5 point card from myself? But if the 10 point card has a resource you can use, you can like kind of justify that a little more, and it, it feels a little like just not as bad, I guess, to kind of like fall on that sword because at least you're getting something that could help you out more overall in the long term yeah there's there's a lot more to the the timing of the resources which i didn't get into but i do want to point out that every building has a cost so if you just draft building for their effect um there's no way you're going to build them all just, there's a lot of them are going to go to waste there throughout the game you're definitely going to need to draft cards just for the resource and that's important to know Anyway, but yeah, that was my game. Uh, it's a Wonderful World. I think it's worth checking out, even if you're not a fan of drafting games or these kind of resource collecting and building games. I do think it's worth checking out just for a few interesting mechanics. And it's very accessible on Board Game Arena. Andrew, what have you played recently? I've played recently... Two games come to mind. Uh, one is Great Western Trail, which I very much love and that we've talked about already. So I'll talk more about the one we haven't talked about, which is Thern and Taxes which is a much older game. Um, Spiel de Jahr's winner, so, you know, good stuff there. It's essentially the, uh, the fix to Ticket to Ride, from my understanding. Yeah, a lot of people call it that. Yeah. That's kind of weird, because I don't think Ticket to Ride needs fixing, but anyway. Well, to be more specific, um, so the idea is you're sort of, like, planning routes and trying to connect these various cities, locations on the map. So the sort of common play pattern that people notice in Ticket to Ride is to just draw cards, draw cards, draw cards, draw cards, draw cards, then eventually dump out all the cards one by one as you play route by route by route. In Third and Taxes, when you sort of successfully complete a route to you know score points and whatnot, um, you have to discard cards down, excess cards down to three. Hence, no more. you have to be a bit more active in the drawing cards and then building the route and scoring points as you go instead of draw infinitely to have full flexibility, etc. Yeah, so I, I played it like once or twice before a couple years back, had a good time, was intrigued by it, and then re more recently played it these last couple weeks. And I was like, oh, this is still solid. This is still interesting. And so part of the way, one of the endgame conditions is when you successfully complete a route, you sort of deposit these houses along the way. You're setting up postal office or, or something, I don't know. But the way you do it, there's different areas on the map with different colors. So when you successfully complete a route, you either put one house in each different colored area you, you were in, or you place as many, all the houses of one color area. Um, and because of that, there's just sort of like built-in inefficiencies along as you go. It's not always easy to get everything you want. It just makes for a fascinating little, little juggle. And because you can score, there are different ways to score points, there are a couple different sort of strategies and play patterns you can go as well. And it's just simple and surprisingly fascinating. Yeah, I remember playing this game a while ago. I thought it was going to be very similar to Ticket to Ride. And then, like, once you play the game, you realize, oh, wait, hoarding cards is not necessarily a good thing. And more, like, you need the specific cards, not just, you know, more of a color or whatever, or like in Ticket to Ride. And it's more precise. And they're more agonizing decisions as far as, do I just want to dump this now and take it now? Or do I want to take the risk of trying to make the, the, the route longer 
and there are just a lot of various scoring conditions that play into that and they change over time like the judgments you make in the early game are pretty significantly different from the judgments you make in the mid to late game and i thought that was a really interesting yeah balance for the game like the, the again the decision making in it is not obvious and i always really like that i just want to say that this game is euro to the core <laughs> it did win the spiel this year <laughs> yeah but i'm more more to the point like if you like theme if setting in your game this game is not for you there is no theme. It's like it's the post office or something. It is dry as hell. <laughs> it's based on the postal service. Why? Why you gotta hate on the post office? I'm just saying, if you need, if you need, if you need some kind, of, this game, this game makes Ticket to Ride look like a full-on train simulator. <laughs> <laughs> this game makes Ticket to Ride look like a full-on train simulator. That's right. I, I feel like I know how to operate a train company from playing Ticket to Ride based on this game, operating a postal service <laughs> or whatever the theme is. That's such a weird comparison because you're 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 comparing a knot with a knot, like you're comparing two negative. It's kind of I'm comparing a knot to a knot more in this case. Does that analogy work? That's... Way more knot. Okay, I guess. I think you got the point. Now, this game is still fun, though. I've been a long time. It's it's one of those games that feels like perhaps after playing it X number of times, you'll you know be done with it because you'll have figured it out. But it's it's not that simple. There's still enough variance, even if you do feel like you figured it out, which I kind of feel like I have. But I'm not like done with it. I can still play it and have a good time. There's still interesting decisions to make, you know, every time. And you know, occasionally you will get screwed by luck, but it's not usually that bad. Which game do you find harder to figure out? Thorns and Taxes or Ticket to Ride? Thorns and Taxes. Okay. Ticket to Ride, it depends. And if how well you're willing to um, go through the root deck and know where all the roots are. If you want to do that, the game gets a lot more predictable for Ticket to Ride. And Thorns and Taxes, you make your own roots. So there are there are obviously more optimal routes based on what you're doing. Because, um, you either want to go through as many countries as possible in just one spot, or you'll want to load up in one country because those are the ways you can drop the houses but yeah i think that's that's all i need to say about it it's, it's still a good game just dry as hell <laughs> maybe it's just unmoist unmoist that way you get double negative and then it doesn't come off quite as bad <laughs> unmoist wow that's the <laughs> <laughs> i mean andrew was even unsure of the theme uh describing it so <laughs> the, the postal service gets no respect <laughs> I was trying to, to tell you what it was. It's about the postal... I believe it's based upon the, the postal service that was going on in part of the land that would now become modern-day Germany in, like, the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, that's the theme, yeah. <laughs> that's the theme. Well, the Pony, the Pony Express gets all the glory. Well, the U.S. landmass-wise is much bigger than Germany, so... Yeah. Uh, today we're going to be reviewing Beyond the Sun. This has been a pretty popular game lately, and uh, I played it recently. It's and I feel like it still holds up. This is Beyond the Sun, designed by Dennis K. Chan, published by Rio Grande Games in 2020 for two to four players. Did you win your most recent play? I did win my most recent play. Um, oh, maybe that's why it holds up. <laughs> I taught it to uh, Brad and Mulan and amanda we played a four-player game and actually only won by one point cool it was a pretty tight game yeah how long had it been since you played i play it once in a while on board game arena okay so like not too long the funny thing about this game is i learned it on board game arena i think i learned it on tabletop simulator did you not play on there i don't think i played it on tabletop simulator but we played a lot of games, uh, all of us together, in fact, on Board Game Arena. And it was one of those games, this was during the pandemic. So everybody was in lockdown. And honestly, I didn't like the game that much at first. I didn't see what the appeal was. And then I would end up just, during our games, clicking around to see what moves were legal. <laughs> and then this looks good. And then just click it and move on. I honestly didn't like learn, learn how to play it until much later so my first impressions were kind of like okay this is like a lot of tech treating 
And then like, I didn't uh, realize how good it was until much later. Uh, what were your guys' first impression of the game? David? It's hard to remember my first impression exactly, but I do remember really liking it. My first impression was the tech tree was amazing. It was really cool. It felt thematic. It felt like we were exploring, like going up and learning new things and then playing around with what those new things could do. So it was exciting to just see what comes up and what new possibilities happen when you go up the tech tree. And that was really, I guess, not unique, but it felt different. It felt somehow fun. Just it felt it felt like learning new things, like exploring, and that was really an excellent part of the game. Yeah, it was definitely unique. It definitely does things we've seen before in a new way, which was pretty cool. I fully agree that the the tech tree was a very exciting part of the game, and it's a huge hook that and draw that keeps you that makes you want to play again for sure. And like something that stood out to me that first playthrough, looking at the tech tree in addition to everything that David had said, was that the tech tree advances slightly differently from any of the four sort of starting technologies. So there's like a, tier, a level one technology, level two, level three, up to level four technology. Um, there's four starting level one technologies, and each one branches out slightly differently into the level twos and the level threes and the level fours. There's even one that skips directly to three. Yeah. The techs can be shuffled and... Uh, with variable starting positions. And then when you research level 2 techs, uh, you'll need prerequisites of level 1. And some only require 1, and others require 2, and therefore requires different combinations. Well, then some of those level 2s, you know, it's easier to transition to level 3 from one of those level 2s than the other. Like, it's it's surprisingly fascinating, just from the, those, little, those little different branching paths, um, how much that adds to the game. One thing I really love was all what all the cards are named. Uh, they just have this like hilarious, extremely sci-fi like naming scheme for all the stuff that's very thematic. It's a sci-fi setting. You gotta have it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hyper Data Hub was one of Hyper Data Vault or something was one of the cards. I was like, oh, this is hilarious. We've got spaceships and space travel and technology. It's got to be cool. <laughs> Big words galore. They did do an excellent job of making the mechanics of each of the texts thematic with the name. I really appreciated that. So another thing about the game is it also has a exploration board, which is a basic map board of space where each player will have ships, and those ships can basically explore various places. And it's a simple area majority and whoever has them area majority generally gets production discs out and may have special powers when you are the majority holder. Now, if you look at the game, it's very interesting in that the tech tree board is much larger than the exploration board. So already by sort of the, the size and shape of each board, they're telling you which part is more important and which part you know, most of your attention is going to need to be and you know, which part is really where the game plays at. And I really admired that about the design as well. An interesting point that I didn't think of, because you're definitely right in that the the tech tree, as we've all said, is like very engaging and eye-catching and fun. And indeed, like part of the fun of of the tech tree is opening up and unlocking new action spaces for you to do. Um, But in terms of like actually like getting points and winning the game, almost everything gets you points. And that includes both researching the new technologies as well as sort of colonizing and gaining control of the various locations on the exploration board. It gives players something else to think about and fight over as far as managing your production, which is a really big thing in this game. There's definitely been plenty of games where I got stalled out because I can't keep increasing my population or I can't uh, produce enough or I keep wanting to call it space coal. <laughs> Whenever I look at it, I always think space coal. I'm like, no, that's not the right name. It's or. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that the production is, I think, probably actually the most interesting part of the game for me. And I think that's where, for me, a lot of the long-term appeal comes from. The, the resource management is, is surprisingly interesting. And 
unlike certain games where it's like there's just a production phase where you get everything. Here, you, you have a choice. It's actually a surprisingly simple choice, sort of. You either choose between getting more people or getting space coal or ore. What's really neat is that the people is actually somewhat rate limited um, because a lot of the resources in the game come from these cubes. And the cubes can either be a person, just a general supply box, or one of the ships floating around in space. But there's an interesting sort of little cycle between using the ships, the ships go back onto your production board, and then once they're on the board, you can take the cubes off to turn them into people to do things with, like research technologies, or turn them back into ships or something. It's just a really interesting and neat little cycle going on there. I, I, I thought that was just very subtle and really cool. Yeah, so whenever you're researching technologies, which is what you're doing throughout the game, you have to leave one of these, uh, a, basically a guy behind to indicate you've researched that technology. So already your this resource has diminishing returns, right? The more techs you research, the the more guys you lose. So there's this imperative that you always like remove your production discs so that you can get more guys because you're always using them up and that creates this nice tension that really forces you to keep pushing either to fight on the exploration board for or to automate as many of those discs as possible and, and if you're not careful it gets hard to unlock the last few yeah columns to get your people from too so yeah, that's a big deal because the end conditions of the game is to fulfill the four goals? Achievements. Achievements. Achievements, that's what it's called. So one of the achievements that's always in the game is research a level four tech. And if you can't do that, it means you have you don't have a good handle on ending the game, which if you play enough games, you know is always bad. You always need to be able to put yourself in a position to end the game and hit that last achievement or or hit the achievements so if your like engine runs out and you don't you can't produce guys to actually research that last tech you're in a really bad spot which is just a great subtle tension created by the uh the game itself right your private board really facilitates that and says okay you need to get more guys consistently or else you're going to run into a big problem at, at the end and that same issue is going to happen on the exploration board because the other sort of guaranteed achievement in every game of beyond the sun is colonize four planets oh the empire yeah it doesn't have to be but yeah isn't transcendence the only one that's always there and the other three are variable no no it's it's the level four tech or coloni and colonize four plants, those two are always there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And yeah, remember the ships, right? They share the same resource pool. They come from the same resource pool as the people. So you also have to be careful of how much <laughs> you invest into those ships and make them useful. Yeah, it, there's definitely a push to fewer ships at a higher value than having more ships at lower values, which is big, yeah. Okay, so I looked up Dennis K. Chan, and this is his first design. Very cool. Yeah, very cool for a first design. I find that's kind of the thing with a lot of designers. The game they tend to uh, like the best, spend the most time playtesting and researching and, you know, just working on is usually the one they can sell a publisher on and then their first game. So this... Uh, as of yet, I don't think Dennis has uh, designed anything else. I mean, I would look forward to his next design, but I don't think he has anything else yet. We can take a quick look at that. Well, it's a little unusual because this is like a pretty heavy design, or at least involved design. And so that's it's very rare for a first game to come out the gate like that and just be so so innovative, in a sense. Even though, I guess the, the skeleton is, is still stuff that I'm familiar with, but the feel and the use of it is truly innovative and it's very impressive. Um, so far on Board Game Geek, the only listings are Beyond the Sun and two expansions. Oh, there's two expansions now? Wow. Well, one's like one's like a promo expansion. And the other expansion isn't even out yet. Or the thing he's credited for isn't even out yet. Uh, it says 2023. It's called Leaders of the New Dawn, so that implies there's leaders... It's going to be characters. Yeah, maybe. Probably be a description if I click on it. More special passives, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Certainly there's got to be like more technologies and other things like that. Although there are a couple things I'm hoping for uh, in this. 
Like? Well, I'll, I'll get to that because I have a couple things to say from earlier. One of the things about the production I think is really genius is how it's tied into the game and how quick it is. For all the intrigue and nuance you were talking about, uh, it's all done very quickly and can be done pretty much while the next player is taking their turn because it doesn't usually affect them. So you do your action, in the, your main action, which is either tech or do some ship stuff, and then you do your production, and it's fast. So that in that, it keeps the game going fast, which is very important, especially for like a four-player game. And that helps keep the game flowing at an enjoyable pace for everybody. Yeah, it definitely makes for a tighter overall gameplay experience. It's also nice that while you're doing your production, the next player usually has already started their turn because they don't need to pay attention to what you're doing there. And that helps overlap um, the decision space while the decisions are being very interesting. Going back to one thing, I was very curious as to Paul's point, which I kind of disagree with, in a sense that the exploration board being smaller is because the attention is more towards the tech tree. And while the tech tree is more appealing to me, I feel like the exploration board is very important and can be, depending on how you want to play your game or just how your game shapes out, can be even more important than the tech tree. And it is important always for points. You can't ignore the exploration board for the whole game. Plenty of things you can't ignore in a game, but there are some things that I think are sort of where the main gameplay is centered around. And then the exploration board seems to be not so much a secondary thought, but it's at least like a complementary thing to the main tech tree. I don't think you can't focus on the exploration board to the exclusion of the research tech tree, and you can't do it vice versa. I disagree. I believe you can. I mean, you can't you can't just straight up ignore the tech tree, of course, but you can use the tech tree very minimally. Well, but but you can say the same in reverse. You can uh, use the exploration board very minimally. I mean, the fact that you already have a caveat for your statement already indicates it's not exactly true, right? No, but that wasn't the point. The point is I'm saying, because you were saying the tech tree is bigger and... More prominent. More prominent, and therefore the, the focus of the game is there, whereas the exploration board is on the side. I'm saying that that's not necessarily the case. And it actually leads into my criticism of it. And I felt like you did say, like, the exploration board is kind of secondary or kind of an afterthought. I don't think it's an afterthought. I think it is secondary to the tech tree. Yeah, I feel it's an afterthought in kind of the design. I feel like the exploration board is actually not that well done, for, like, comparatively at least. It's not bad, but it just felt dull. I don't really get the excitement of going in to the exploration board and trying to area control these different planets, which do have powers on them. When you claim the planets, they have abilities and stuff that happen. Some do. Some do, right, and some don't. And some are endgame scoring. There's, so there's a mix there, and there's some opportunity, which, you know, I could tell there's some thought there, but just it didn't feel exciting for me to go and try to claim these planets. It felt, you know, like, important. It felt like I was, you know getting something done, but it didn't feel as, as good as getting those new techs or exploring that. And furthermore, just the whole area control bit, it felt a bit dated in a way. I don't like these battles. One thing I will say about the exploration board is that I, I think it is actually very consistent with the game. And I think it like the two things that it will sort of like teach or get you to notice is that it interacts with your personal production board so well like that it, it really highlights how interesting the production is and then i think the other thing it teaches you especially in the late game is that in general when playing beyond the sun you almost always want to have like two good options ready at any given time like especially in late game when you're not exactly sure who or when the game will end you want to have two good options people scramble to set themselves up for for the end game so it fun I, I think functions very well <laughs> I don't have nearly as strong opinions on y'all as to whether it's interesting or not. I just thought it felt it felt good. Okay, okay. I think the feel of exploration could be better. Um, given that like once you colonize a planet and another planet immediately shows up, it doesn't really feel like you're exploring. I didn't like that part that much. But otherwise, it's fine. I've seen this game at a store for $80. I looked it up online. The most common price is around $60. The cheapest price was like $53. Do you guys feel like it's worth that much cash. Fifty-three sixty-seven. Some people feel like the game is a little overpriced. I do feel the game is overpriced. I think it's the game as far as like fun and 
how good the game is, I think it's worth $80. But the components and how big the game is, it doesn't feel like an $80 game. It feels more in the line of like a $60 game. Yeah, I've heard the same criticism. I mean, you can get it online for like $60, but these days, since you have to pay for shipping, it's going to be a bit more than that. You know, Rio Grande is a pretty big company, although this is a first-time designer, and a, I'm not sure, I don't know how well the game was advertised or backed, so I don't know how many units it sold, but I imagine the second printing would have been substantial enough due to the high rating and high buzz that it got initially. I do think, just based on components alone, I think it's a little overpriced. But yeah, as far as gameplay, I definitely think it's pretty fun. Agreed with everything you've said, including that like it feels like a sixty dollars game, but is like worth in terms of fun and quality, like an eighty dollars game. You are getting a very good game out of this. It's also a very generic theme, you know. It's just so if I saw that if I saw that on the shelf, Beyond the Sun, just kind of looked at it. I don't think I would pick it up. I learned about this game from other people that looked into it and saw the mechanics and were like, this looks interesting. And then, you know, especially after playing it online, it was definitely a game I would like recommend. And trying to look at it objectively, if I just saw it on the shelf with knowing nothing about it, I really don't think I would glance at it too long. What do you guys think about replayability? Um, I think it's very replayable. Like we've been mentioning, the tech tree in particular, it's always different. I guess the starting tech trees are uh, starting techs are always the same, but they're in a different spot. But when you advance, with the way the text come out can impact the game very heavily. Even the planets on the exploration, the abilities that come out can affect the game. If the first things that come out are all end game points and stuff, then the exploration board becomes a little less important, at least early on. But if it's abilities or other things that help you in the early game, like improve your engine and stuff like that, then it becomes a little bit more of a priority. Plus there's goals. The goals are different each time, so it encourages different play, as well as there's asymmetric boards if you want to explore that as well. So I, I think there's just a lot there to play the game over and over again, even if you're very familiar with um, everything in the game. In the game, there are four starting technologies, and they're sort of themed... One's blue and scientific, green, economic, red's military, and yellow is commercial. And the great thing about the level two text is some of them can be just blue, and but most of them are actually combinations of two colors. So when you're deciding on which tech to research in the future, you generally draw through the deck until you get two techs of the corresponding color. So blue, green, red, or yellow. And that can create some real variation as far as which texts come out, which ones you choose. It just creates a lot of variation there, which is, I really thought that was a smart design choice as far as maybe you don't, you didn't go the military route right away, but you can still maybe pull a mil military tech on uh, next to it. And I'm going to toss another vote for Beyond the Sun being highly replayable. I've, I've played around like 15-ish games, I think, 15 to 20, and I've had a really good time. I really think the managing the your production, the little production puzzle, given the varying tech tree, super fascinating, really fun. <laughs> and like again, the tech tree is such a strong draw that like showing to new players if they like it, like they're probably gonna want to play a few more games. Like like in my opinion, the way I just I see Beyond the Sun is it's a one two punch of the tech tree draws you in and then you stay for the for figuring out the production. I've definitely gotten caught off guard going, uh oh. I've painted myself into a corner, so there's really some nice like caveats there where it shows you where you misstepped and then like, oh, okay. There's definitely room for improvement in how you approach the production side, for me at least. The, it's not very obvious what the like correct thing to do is, and it can vary from game to game, like what's more correct or what's better. And I like that kind of variability where the answer is not obvious all the time. In the cult of the new era, it's increasingly rare to revisit a game multiple times. Our rating system answers the question, how many plays is a game really worth? The answer is measured by three criteria. How replayable a game is, how challenging is it to reach a basic mastery of the me mechanisms, and how fun is the game overall? 
A plus at the end indicates how likely we are to play the game if someone else suggests it. Conversely, a minus means we would prefer to decline future plays. Alright, why don't we go around and give our ratings for Beyond the Sun. Definitely very replayable. I give this at least a dozen plays. And I'd give it a plus just because it's pretty fun all around. Uh, what do you think, David? I'm pretty close. I would give it 10 plus plays. The I would seek to play it maybe like 10 times or so. And then I'd be totally down to play it if anyone else suggested it as well, which would then bump up the plays. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to to explore here. I don't know, based on how I'm feeling, I, it's hard to pinpoint down how how to rate this exactly. I mean, Andrew's already played it over 15 times, so I could see myself doing that, but I could also see myself stopping after like eight or nine. So I'll just give it a nice nice 10 plus. I think depending on your preferences, like five could be enough. And you know, there's so many games now, and like maybe some, maybe you figure out quicker than others. Maybe there are, there are things about this that you just you just don't like about it. So like, I think five plus is like a more safer rating for that encompasses more people. But I would I would go with a ten plus for me. And yeah, like that's already happened. So <laughs> you know how they always have those expository text in the in the beginning that gives you the theme. Yeah. Did it did it mention a destination? No. The theme is basically humanity screws up the Earth real hard. The only way to survive is to develop all the necessary technologies to get off the planet. <laughs> and for the first time, the entirety of the planet was ready to cooperate to survive. That cooperation takes the form of us being willing to share all technologies that are being developed in order to get off the planet. That's what the check tree basically res- represents every faction having access to everyone else's technologies. It doesn't mention a specific place or something. And yeah, that is thematic. The theme works, don't get me wrong. I just, the title title just isn't descriptive of what's happening, I feel. Okay, here's my problem. From our perspective on Earth, right, the sun is the one sun. I know there's multiple suns out there in the galaxy, or just multiple stars, really. But if you go beyond the sun, you're just in the solar system again. You're still in the solar system, yes. I think you're taking a bit of a literal approach to the name of the game. I am, yes. <laughs> a little too literal, man. I think it's a little... Obviously a pedantic nitpick, but whatever. Alright, so those are our thoughts on Beyond the Sun. Next, we'll probably go into the game show. So today's game show, we're going to be doing a variation on Higher or Lower. Board games based on their ebay price buy it now rating so what's the price listed on ebay for the buy it now for the game now i'm going to tell you guys right now all the games are used none of them are new so they will all be below msrp well so we're kind of at the mercy of whatever the seller thinks the exactly thing is worth. right that's fun this is great okay Okay, well, hold on. I'm, I have an eBay account. Oh, I can just put these games on sale real quick. Obviously, <laughs> that will be illegal. Aww. Uh-huh. David. That is not in the spirit of things, David. Maybe. Well, yeah. No, <laughs> well, but. Yeah. <laughs> if, Andrew, if Andrew gets ahead, I need some advantages. <laughs> it's in the spirit of winning. Okay. So we're going to start this off. Our seed game today will do Beyond the Sun. Uh, Anyone want to take a guess at what the uh, buy it now price? And I always took the lowest price I could find. Some of the games will be ding and dented. Oh, So um, if you're leaning between two prices, go ahead and round down because you'll probably do a little better rounding down. Well, I know the MSRP for Beyond the Sun is $80, so it's probably less than that. Fairly new, so I'd probably say like $50. Uh, Andrew, you have a guess? Hey, I'm going I'm to say $35. Wow. Be Beyond the Sun, buy it now price for $38. Wow, very close. Wow. Still not. He, Andrew still won't buy it. It's too much. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> And if it's that low, it's probably not great quality either. No, thank you. 
I think I might uh, buy that actually. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to look <laughs> it up. If assuming it's still there. Okay, Andrew has won the spirit point there. Now let's move on to the real game. Yes. Okay, right. David, your first game is going to be Azul. Is it higher or lower than Beyond the Sun? Like really? I think the retail price is lower than thirty-eight dollars. Maybe it's forty dollars. So I'm going to go with it's lower than Beyond it the Sun. It is lower. All right, I have to. I forgot I have to do a scoreboard. <laughs> David, Andrew. we we can yeah. keep track in our head. Okay. Okay. Azul by now price twenty eight dollars. Yeah. Twenty eight. What? That is wait. That is way too high. Twenty eight. Yeah, if it's on eBay, it's got to be like fifteen. Come on, at least it's every, a good game. It's not that good. Every single used game, either flea market or whatever, I've seen somebody has a copy of Azul to sell, and it's usually like ten. Really? Yeah. Ten dollars? Yeah, makes sense. It's too simple a game. People are like oh, okay. ten bucks, easy. It's old news, small box. I could see fifteen, but twenty-eight. I think fifteen. 10 to 15 is pretty reasonable. 28. Okay. Unbelievable. Okay. Let's see. Andrew, you're up next. You have an old copy of yeah. Pandemic Classic. Do you think it's higher or lower? Or lower than the fair price of $28. My God. Uh, okay. Old copy of Pandemic. Your question was much harder than mine, I think. No, yeah, because it's like, if it's old, okay, that could be low, but if it's old enough that it's like, maybe it's like collector's item, and so maybe it's above, actually. So I gotta think about it. But, okay, it's Pandemic. So many people have played Pandemic, probably. Old copy. I don't, I don't think it has collector's value, so I'm gonna say it's lower than 28. And for the spare point, I'm gonna Pandemic's say it's $25. Success. Oh, I didn't know we were supposed to get the price, too. No, that was just for fun. I want my spirit points. I introduced the spirit points. I'm going to get the spirit points. I want to guess way oh, really? lower. Way for... lower than 25? Oh, uh, way lower no, than for Azul. Azul. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to guess lower yeah. for... I would probably David, say like 20. game is Everdell. Buy now price for Everdell. Do you think it's higher or lower? Everdell. Okay, so Everdell... It's newer than Pandemic. Yep. It's bigger than Pandemic and has more stuff in it. I think it's also... It's not more popular, but I think it's higher rated. I'm going to throw in one more wrinkle for you, David. Is it like the regular edition or the Kickstarter special edition? Oh, I doubt it's the big box of all the expansions. But even like the base game, I think, had like a, a more Kickstarter collector's version. Everything about this is telling me it should be higher. So that's making me want to guess lower... <laughs> oh yeah, is it the big box? With okay, all the I didn't say this explicitly, but these are all base game only. No, no uh, expansions. Oh okay, yeah, I saw the big box at BGGCon last year, and it's ginormous. It's it's huge. It's like a, it, I can't remember exactly, but I think it's about as big as like the Kingdom Death Monster box. It's just yeah, and heavier too. Anyway. All logic is saying it's going to be higher than $25. i am going to go even as high as $40. All but I will righty. say higher. Everdell is $32. Yeah, I keep overpaying for these games. <laughs> yeah, man. You got to you gotta bargain shop. Yeah, it's like MSRP is like, what, $60? Maybe? $40? Is $40? It's gotta be, for the base game, it's got to be at least $60. It's that size. Um, maybe $50. I don't know. but I don't remember how much I paid for it. Because we had the discount. Anyways. Whatever you paid, it was worth it. Yeah, oh, no, I agree. <laughs> Perfect game so far. Everybody's been right. Let's move on. Andrew, your next game is up. Oh, it's Terraforming Mars. Pre-owned. <laughs> is it Pre-owned. more or less than Everdell? $32. And this is just the base game, this right? No expansions. Wow. All right, so we know what I want it to be valued as. And the fact that it doesn't even have the expansions really confirms Uh that. Uh, Okay, but people like this game too much. Okay, I'm going to hope that this person has a brain. It's lower than 30. That is correct. It's for $18. Yes! (laughs) Good! Wait, it's lower than Azul? Uh, Well... (laughs) 
the thing I think a lot of people don't take into account is that as far as components go, Terraform Mars is like not the greatest game. And if you oh, play yeah. it a lot, like people like like it a lot and play it a lot, the box and the components get really torn up. So the, the picture online was like just the box from a, a bit of a distance. <laughs> <laughs> like the photos like oh, okay. been cropped a little bit. So I'm thinking the guy played it a lot and it like the copy is pretty messed up and like he didn't try to price it too high, but there you go. <laughs> this makes me very happy. I guess that is the opposite of Azul, where it's really, really That's hard true. to mess up that game. Because yeah. yeah, I mean the boards are pretty flimsy. They're just like like paper cardboard, but like everything else. I've is seen nice. where like the 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 monochrome plate paint mm. or whatever on the on the counting cubes. You have like bronze, silver, and gold. Wow. Like the paint itself is like coming off. It can come off on those cubes, so people play it so much that the cubes, like the paint, comes off in the cubes, and the copies get pretty messed up. People play it so much that they'll buy inserts that cost more That's than true. the game. That I thought was really weird. It's cool that people love it enough for the paint to fall off. I like, I, I like seeing stories like that. Like, I think that's very cool. But for terraforming Mars, mm, it's unfortunate, especially the or you can just news. get the big box. Let's just call it Great Western Trail instead. <laughs> <laughs> no, David, don't do <laughs> okay. that. Okay, uh, David, the score is two to two. It's going to be it terraforming is. Mars, the Ares expedition. Can you handle? Wow, it? that's it. Higher I can. or? Wow, that's weird because it's much newer. That's the thing. Yeah, but it's much less components. However, it's probably not as beat up. I feel like a lot of people played this game and either really liked it or didn't like it. And thus, if you really liked it, you wouldn't be selling it. Maybe you have an extra copy or something, but that leads even more credence to that it's in good condition. So, I'd have to imagine it's higher than $18. So All I'm going right. to go with that. Final answer. It is $20. Oh, oh it's $20. Well, I was going to say higher than that. I was going to say 25 but uh, once again, I've I've overpaid, yeah. <laughs> I was also going to say 25 funnily enough. And I could save a lot of money if I just uh, bargain hunted All a little right, better. Andrew, back to you. We have the classic Catan. What is the eBay buy it now price of Catan? Is it more or less than $20? Huh. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, say it's less. $25. Insane! <laughs> I think you didn't look hard enough because you said you take the lowest out of all the ones you found, and there's you got to be able to find so? it for less than twenty dollars. I know. Very likely. I mean, like it's old, it's well known. Well, that the well known part yeah. is the reason why I think it might be higher. Yeah, it could be high. Sure. Yeah, it's definitely ubiquitous. It's there's quite a lot of them. I, like quality because of the age, the quality could matter. Could vary a lot too. No, no, so it goes. If it were like the newest edition in shrink or something, I could see it twenty five. No, I would agree with that. But I feel like the odds of that are unlike are low on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, all right. Well, twenty five. I kind of had a feeling that that one was a bit of a trick. The first disparity. Yeah. <laughs> the first disparity. David, back to okay. you. A copy of Wingspan. Is it higher or lower than Catan? This feels like the same trap as Catan, almost. Yeah, this game never fails to... Well, I don't know about recently, but since it came out in 2019, all the way to at least 2022, it's never failed to sell out, like, very quickly. Granted, granted I mean, it's just that's for, like, a few copies, but they, they go almost instantly. Recently, though, there's been a couple copies that have sat for a bit, so perhaps the shine has gone it's off a little bit. Yeah, it's finally reached its, um, I don't know what to call it, when it, it just starts fading just because it's it naturally It'd happens be like to all products. like saturation point. Yeah, that's it, saturation point. So, I'm tempted to go lower, but it's higher. Higher is where the trap would be. It feels like it's so popular, it would naturally be higher. But maybe it's sold by the same guy that sold Terraforming Mars. And what if... What if Paul did the funny thing of making these two the same price? Oh, yeah. Can I All guess? Right. <laughs> I'll, I guarantee it's not the same price. He definitely didn't do that, but like, 
this game is this game is actually easier to beat up than Terraforming Mars. It's got the same cards. I don't think I don't remember the cards being better quality or anything. Okay. Yeah, the birdhouse is gets incredibly wrecked very quickly, and you know the cards are used a lot, so they'll get wrecked as well. The eggs though are nice. Can't really wreck those. Yeah, eggs aren't going anywhere. So I'll go. I'll go with my gut. Think that it's not a trap, and I'll say it's higher. And I'll go for twenty-eight dollars because I want to say the actual 35. price is thirty-five dollars. <laughs> ha! Wow. What? Well, I guess I'm not buying Wingspan. <laughs> I finally get it right, and I'm just like, I uh, know just, how to play just this for game. Uh, future accounting. If something's like the same price. I would list that as one of your options at the very beginning of the game. I wouldn't go <laughs> higher or lower. Oh, but this was the same price, so you're just wrong. No. But it would, it be, would funny. be funny. But I would list it as a possibility right at the beginning of the game before we started. <laughs> okay, so if there's a there's an option that's weird at the very beginning. We know Back it's one Andrew. Okay, your game is Arc Nova. Right, so I still haven't played Arc Nova yet. New game, but on the more expensive side, but old. There was a ding indented version for around 35 being sold at a store. eBay, depending on the stuff. It's like 70 MSRP, right? Something like that? I'm sorry, did you say Arc Nova's old? Did I say Arc Nova's old? I thought you said old. 2021? Yeah, it's either 21 or 22. I think it's 21, but I'm not sure. It could be 22. Compared to 35? I'm going to oh, say it's above. Higher? Say it's around Actual 40. Price, $45. Dang. I was going to say 45, but no one's going right, to believe fellas, me now. You guys are <laughs> one point apart. David with four, Andrew with three. Cool. See, David, you never needed to, to look things up on eBay. I do feel I do I do feel that mine were a little easier than yours though overall. Uh, wingspan was kind of tough, but I felt they were about appropriate. Not reasonable. You guys are in for the final question. Let's do it. Yeah, right. let's do it. Oh, do we have a camera function on this? You guys want to turn on your cameras? <gasps> Fancy. Oh, is my camera what not the on? The hell? Oh, there it goes. Okay. No, that's okay. We'll make it work. No, there it is. This is great audio content. David's shy, and that's okay. I don't. I don't have a camera. You don't have a right camera now. hooked up. Oh, okay. I don't. No. Well, five, no one five, told five. me I needed one. The last game we're gonna do is a wonderful world. <laughs> I just looked this up for you guys, uh, Andrew. Why do you write down your answer so that you're committed to it, and then we'll have uh, David go okay. first. That way, well, uh, you're both committed. So you'll be guessing the the actual price found on eBay. Wow, and I've no idea. Okay, okay. So yeah, David said it's a drafting game, so it seems like entirely card based. Probably it does it have is. some components. This is on the newer side, I think. Yes, it is. I can tell you what's there. It came out like 2020, 2020, uh, 2019. It's a whole bunch of cards. Little player boards. Same quality as like Terraforming Mars, but slightly smaller. Six or seven of them, something like that. And then there's a board in the middle and a whole bunch of cubes. About there's the same number as Pandemic, too. I guess. Okay, so write down yeah. your answer so you're committed to it. It was on here. On okay, the back cool, side of this. Cool. Andrew, what's that poster? What's that frame picture on the wall behind you? It looks cool. It's like it's like a Buddhist thingy. I don't know the full details. I'm not sure what it is though. The Buddhist thingy. Yeah. That's a Buddhist. Yeah, thingy? it's a man- it's a mandala, right? Probably. That sounds right. I'll look it up. I'll look it up later. This is. I just wanted to add to the audio. <laughs> cool, cool. This is visual thing you can't see. I'm not going to describe it to you, but it's Buddhisty and cool. Yeah, I want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> It's very colorful. And possibly mandala, but maybe not. Yeah. Okay, so whoever gets the closest to the actual price will score, what, 10,000 points? How about just two? Sounds about and, right, yeah. And will be the winner. Okay, two. David. Okay. No camera, David will go first. I'm 
in my no camera sense, I'm going to I'm going to do what I feel is a low ball, but I'm going to go with twenty two dollars. Andrew, I have written down. It's backwards, but that's supposed to be a twenty seven. The actual price, buy it now price, is twenty five dollars. Andrew is two dollars wow. away. Dave is three dollars <laughs> And Andrew wins. <laughs> Incredible. Congratulations. I think you won by 9,999 points. That sounds correct. That is in, that is that is how the math works out. Yes. Good game. Woo! All right. Good game, guys. If you're listening on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you want to continue the conversation with us, you can do that at our Board Game Geek Guild Impromptu Board Gaming Podcast. Guild number 4233. Or if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please email us at impromptu podcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, impromptu podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.